welcome to this episode of state-sponsored programming. I'm Sophie Dasko. And I'm Will Blystaff. And today we're going to be talking about a very polarizing issue, climate change, with our wonderful teacher, Mr. Linhart. Mr. Linhart? Hi, uh, my name is Jeff Linhart. Uh, I'm a science teacher at Bay High School, and I am very excited to work with two former students today and uh, talk about climate change. So just before we get into our questions really quick here, Mr. Linhart, you are fresh out of college. So what is your degree in college? We can vet you a little bit here to, to talk about climate change. Yeah, so uh, I graduated from college in tw 2012. Um, my degree is in biology with a minor in chemistry. So uh, I do have an understanding of the science behind climate change and uh, have my own, my own opinion on what's going on that I'm excited to, to share and, and go back and forth with you guys a little bit today. Very cool, well thank you very much. We appreciate you taking the time. All right, so my first question that I have, it's pretty simple, is what is climate change and then what is your stance on the issue? Sure, so I, I think a lot of people get climate change confused with weather. Um, and a lot of the misunderstanding of climate change comes from, well, we've never been able to interpret weather, so why is crazy weather pattern something that we should be concerned about? Um, and I think the best representation I've ever seen to describe what climate versus weather is, is um, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Uh, great astrophysicist, a great, great educator of science. He, he puts it in a way that you can understand really well. And, and he, he talked about weather and climate as, as two things. Is climate is if you're walking on the beach with your dog, you typically walk in a straight line. Your dog is going to have smells and things that interest him on either side of you, and he's going to weave back and forth and back and forth. And he'll be on a leash, though, so he can only get about so far away from the person who's walking. And, and the, the track that you would see from the dog versus the human being walking straight line is kind of like climate versus weather. Weather weaves, and it has spikes, and it has upflows and downflows and, and different cold fronts and warm fronts that move in, but, but climate is the over the long haul. What is the average of weather patterns that we see? Um, and, and we can test, and, and weather's really hard to predict. Climate, not so much, because it's a longer period type of idea. Because when you take data from long periods, you take out randomness. Weather is random. Climate, not so much. So what climate change is, is basically, um, is we are seeing a, an increase in the temperature of not only the earth, uh, the air temperature in the earth, but also the oceans. Uh, and the issue with that is um, not so much on the earth. Earth doesn't really care about climate change. The earth will be absolutely fine. Uh, climate change is an issue for human beings, uh, for our way of life, um, especially the, the economic hit um, that we will take uh, when uh, the ice caps are no longer there and our sea level rises. Uh, because all of our great economic ports are all within that uh, that danger zone of being uh, gobbled up by the oceans when they rise up. Yes, and I know that the recent UN climate report was talking about the immediate danger of climate change. And it was talking about how from now to 2040, if we don't do something about climate change, it can wind up costing us $54 trillion in damage to kind of bounce off that point. So yeah, it is a very clear and present issue. And the economics of it is something that we will definitely talk about, so. Yeah. That's a fantastic analogy though. I've never heard that before. That is spot on. That really actually helped does clarify the difference between climate and weather. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Yeah, and kind of to your point with the 
with the uh, the report that came out, and they were talking about when we need to have the climate shifted, but that can't be our starting point. Twenty four. If we're starting in twenty forty, we're in trouble. Um, I think the 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 report said we need to be at net zero by twenty fifty uh, to to avoid those. And unfortunately, what's going to happen is as we take carbon dioxide out of our atmosphere. Uh, what happens when there's there's an overabundance the way that we're putting in it right now? Some of it gets absorbed up by the oceans. There's a constant churning of, of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the ocean and the air. So the ocean takes in a bunch of that carbon dioxide. So even when we make strides to reduce the carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, the ocean is going to release its carbon dioxide. So we're not going to see it happen immediately. There's going to be kind of a, a, a lame duck period where we're changing stuff and nothing's happening to the environment. So we need to kind of account for that and make those changes soon so that the change, the changes as they're going to happen in the environment happen in a timely fashion. Yes, because again, one of the other arguments to people use against climate change or climate change enthusiasts, environmentalists, if you will, is that it takes too long. You know what I mean? You make these changes and you don't see them. But that lame duck period because of the biological aspect of it, yeah, is it something, again, I think a lot of people don't understand or choose to ignore. So along with that, though, we have the economic aspect of climate change. So the primary argument that I've heard against climate change that hasn't been well refuted is that climate change and environmentalism is economically unsustainable for a nation, for people. It's the reason that Wells Griffith, who oversees President Trump's climate and energy strategy, said recently, quote, we strongly believe that no country should have to sacrifice their economic prosperity or energy security in pursuit of environmental stability. Quote, how do you counter this notion that greenness is economically unsustainable? So I think it depends on how you deter what you determine as economically stable. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways to acquire energy which create jobs and which create uh, employment and, and close the wage gap um, that we don't necessarily, we aren't necessarily going to lose. We're going to lose jobs because we're going to lose the coal industry. We're going to lose mining. We're going to lose fracking. We're going to lose all of the uh, energy production that comes from that. But we're also going to gain a lot of jobs. And will it net out to perfectly zero? Maybe, maybe not. Um, and, and that's kind of for, for the, for the uh, business people to, to decide. How do we set up this business so that we can keep people employed and we can then make the changes that we need to make? Um, but again, part of it too is, is we can make changes in the small term as we're slowly going over to more of a green and, and renewable source of energy. Uh, you know, wind turbines, things like these. These still need engineers to build. They still need engineers to maintain. Uh, they still need the day-to-day -day people to monitor uh, all the things that are going on. Um, so you might not have as much of the blue-collar work, uh, and, and I think that's where kind of Trump's administration has, has that's that's his people, right? The blue-collar worker, the, the uh, middle America, and, and that's where it's probably gonna hit. Uh, but I think there are ways around that. I think there are ways that we can find job opportunities for those people. Um, and part of that is just, a, 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 you know, as an educator, pushing pushing higher education on people um, to specialize and, and to take an interest in, in some field and, and get to know that field. And if you really are interested in energy, get into understanding how windmills work, how turbines work, how nuclear energy works. Uh, you don't have to be a PhD to work in a nuclear energy facility. Um, you just have to have uh, some kind of working knowledge of, of, of what's going on there. 
So in terms of the economics, um, you know, I'm sure there's people much, much better at, uh, at explaining the economics than I, but from, from my perspective, the, um, the idea that we can make small changes that don't necessarily have to come off of, of governmental changes. Um, I, I, I saw a study in the UK um, that even without going off of coal-powered things, if you just changed out all of your light bulbs that were 100-watt light bulbs, it's what uh, many people use in, in the UK. Here we use more 60-watt light bulbs, but if you just change those all out to 15-watt light bulbs, we would be saving about 56 uh, billion uh, CO2 particles in the air per year. Um, and, and that's the equivalent of basically driving around the Earth 8 million times. So just changing the light bulb that you use on a daily basis has a huge effect on, on our output. So we do need to do some big changes, but we can all individually do some small changes in the meantime. Yeah, absolutely. And those small changes, again, I think is what's looked over a lot. People think we have to make these huge changes. Like, we can't drive cars anymore. But yeah, no, it's those small things. To kind of contribute to that as well, I was looking at a chart from the Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics, and it says that taking into account all of the environmental regulations, when you look at coal, oil, and natural gas, which are the three main sources of, of fossil fuels, uh, jobs in that industry is going to decrease by 10.7% by 2026. So you're right. It is like small changes that we can make, but yeah, you still have that aspect of are these jobs going to balance out the green jobs versus these fossil fuel jobs that we have now that our economy kind of depends on. So. so you're talking a little bit about the effects of climate change. So I'm just a wonder, wondering a little bit about your opinion about how much of a catastrophic effect it will have. So I read an article by David Wallace, Wallace Wells titled The Uninhabitable Earth in which he claims that if the Arctic permafrost melts from global warming, even more carbon will be released from the air, and it's essentially a doomsday scenario. So if climate change continues, will we enter some sort of doomsday scenario, or are you more moderate with that, or what are your views? Um, I, I, I took a look at the article, and I mean, it's hard to argue with the science. Uh, there is a lot of carbon dioxide, and the science says the more carbon dioxide we have in the atmosphere, that's, a, that's a, I guess, another point that... Um, a lot of people want to want to ignore the, the science behind climate change is, is not very complicated. Uh, carbon carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas. What that means is is when it absorbs heat energy, it also releases that heat energy and reflects it back. So as the sun burns energy onto the earth, the earth heats up, it releases that energy back out. But because of our atmosphere that has carbon dioxide in it, the carbon dioxide takes it, it heats itself up, and then throws it back onto the earth, and we just get this kind of feedback cycle there. Um, so if we get more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, the more we get, the less heat is able to, is able to leave our planet. Um, so we do want carbon dioxide because if we didn't have it in the atmosphere, we would just be in a giant snowball. The earth would be an uninhabitable in the first place. Um, but it is a worry because if you take a look at um, Carl Sagan, uh, that big, very famous scientist from the 80s, um, he did a lot of case studies on Venus. Uh, and, and Venus has a runaway greenhouse <laughs> effect. Um, Venus has no, no real issues of, in heat and being closer than us to the sun, because really in astrological terms, it's really not that much closer than us, than Earth to the sun. Um, but it has over oh, about 100% of its atmosphere of carbon dioxide. So it just has a, a constant feedback loop and it's about 900 degrees hotter than, than we are here. So we know that carbon dioxide heats up, heats up atmospheres. So, that 
moving into the atmosphere, definitely a, a bad thing for us. Um, I think the thing that we're more in concern of is if the permafrost goes, that would also mean that the ice caps melted. And by that time, we'd already be in so much trouble that I think the heat um, would, be the, would be the least of our worries. Um, I, I don't think that we're in, in huge like concern of, of burning up um, and dying of like of overheat exhaustion. I think the thing that we're going to find is that if the sea levels rise and, and if the ice caps all melted, um, the current prediction on the sea level rise would be about to the elbow of the Statue of Liberty. So we would, we would lose most of our best economic ports. Uh, you would basically have to redraw all the maps um, and, and economically our, our countries and our, our societies would kind of go into a into a, into a big loss. And, and we're not the only ones who know this, scientists, military knows this. The military is, is really concerned. If you're worrying about climate change and wondering, okay, who's taking this seriously? The military is taking it very seriously because what they found out through war times is that when people are displaced from their lands, refugee areas come into, come into play and you put refugee um, securities out there and it becomes a security risk. For, for countries and a spatial issue. And there are tons of South Pacific islands that are about, their average is a couple of feet above sea level. So even a couple of feet of rise, these, these people lose their homes. And, and them coming in as refugees is, is just gonna create a, a, a homeland security issue. So I think something also that's really important to talk about is there are people who call themselves climate skeptics and even they would agree. And I was reading a lot of articles that uh, CO2 is a greenhouse gas. Where there is disagreement is with the current warming going on now, how much is that attributed to the CO2? So specifically, one argument that I've heard is that because climate is controlled by a myriad of factors, you have the sun, the oceans, cloud formation, etc., is it impossible to determine if CO2 is the main contributor of global warming? Sure. So I think, like I said, I, I think some of that is down to the difference between climate and weather and, and that cloud formation, that, that sun, the tilts of the Earth's orbit and how much sunlight we're getting um, it is pretty standard in its fluctuations. The thing that has gone awry, the thing ha that, that ha hasn't followed trend is our CO2 production. Um, it's at a level never seen before. It's at a level that would have never been predicted should the Industrial Revolution never have happened. Um, so I, I don't think it's a question to anybody that's that's read the the data that CO2 levels are higher than they should be, and and CO2 levels do raise the heat uh, of our climate of our Earth. So. Um, in terms of is it affected by a lot of things? Absolutely, absolutely. CO2 is not the only thing that affects climate, um, but CO2 right now is the only thing out of whack. And our climate, if you look at um, uh, not so much heat indexes, because some people will say, well, I just had the coldest winter ever in my town. And, and, and that happens, again, that's weather. Um, but over time, we, we're seeing the, the general trends in areas. I think over the last, um, we've had 13, the last, the last, hottest average 13 years were happened in the last 15 years. So you are seeing an average, the earth heating up at a rate that it isn't supposed to have heated up at. Um, so definitely, definitely would, would, to those people would say, if, if the CO2 isn't, then what is causing it? Because something has to be the culprit. Mm -hmm. 
Just to echo another <laughs> argument that I've heard from people who call themselves climate skeptics or just are generally skeptical is that there have been warming periods in the past with little to no carbon emissions. Of the medieval warming period is a popular one that's brought up a lot. So what are your thoughts about this? Sure. And, and again, the Earth the climates climate shift and they're supposed to do that we've gone through ice ages we've gone through through hotter times you think about the the jurassic periods it was much warmer back then a lot of volcanic activity um climate is supposed to shift it's just not supposed to shift at the rate that we're seeing it shift at like i said climate is supposed to be that nice long track you can see where it's going you can see the trend you can predict climate and climate has been unpredictable the last decade or so and that's where we're realizing that we're getting into trouble is when you can when you can't predict climate anymore uh you know something's gone off something's something's happened all right so on december 9th we had the international global action i'm sorry on december 9th we had the global climate action summit which basically was this gathering of all these countries to discuss climate change donald trump of course was like yeah let's go fossil fuels and everybody was like that's that's no but anyway it does raise the question of the international community does depend a lot on fossil fuels especially oil so when talking about greenhouse gases and we're talking about these more environmental friendly solutions to fossil fuels it raises the question how is the international community going to be affected by that so how do you think the international community will be hurt or maybe even helped by this decrease in fossil fuels that we want to try and push for so I think one of the things that you're looking at is obviously the international community as a whole. It is, it is very difficult. Think of in your daily life. It's difficult for any individual to go through change. Change is an uncomfortable thing for anybody. The larger you make the population that has to change, the more difficult it becomes. Um, but it doesn't mean that change is wrong and it doesn't mean that change is bad. It just is. So I think uh, in the international community, when we're looking at how much we rely on oil and how much we rely on gas, um, it's, it, that's an undeniable fact. We're hugely reliant on oil and gas and, and, and natural sources of, of carbon right now. Um, but I think the question becomes, can we, can we find that same reliance on things that are more sustainable and more renewable? And I think what you're seeing right now in the food industry and in their shift to more economical renewable not economic, more renewable sources of food is that the shifts are not costing them costing them money, uh, and, and I think we can take 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 good look at that and, and shift our governmental policies maybe to to show that change can happen and we can make it so that it doesn't hurt uh, as much as people are are saying it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt somebody's pocket. It always does. Change always hurts somebody's pocket, and and the the tough part of change is nobody ever wants their pocket to be hurt. So whoever has the money in their pocket right now wants to keep it in their pocket. Um, and, and I think that's where you see a lot of the lobbying and a lot of, uh, of politics come into play. Everybody has their own need to either have or get rid of fossil fuels. Uh, and you're going to argue to the side of which whichever one benefits you. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I, I think that the international community as a whole, we're going to see if, if we are able to decrease we're going to see a lot of great effects in areas that are currently over-industrialized, like China. Uh, the, the air quality is absolutely terrible there. The fact that people have to walk around with, with masks over their face to you know, filter their own air is, is sad. It's a sad state that they're in, and it's over-abundance over and over-reliance on fossil fuels.
Yeah. Uh, so I think it could benefit for sure. Yeah, well, China is the number one producer for greenhouse gas, em mm -hmm. gas emissions in the world. But for the most part, they are taking steps to counter that. And I think something that interesting that's been going on in China is their push for their engineers and their research scientists to come up with these new ways of purifying air. I was looking at one where it's basically a tower that takes in the dirty air at the top, filters it, and then breathes out clean air at the bottom. As well, they've been putting in a lot more of like these weird little farms with lots of plants that are all over the place now, so it's just like they help filter the air. So it's this push towards these more economically sustainable ways to not only produce fuel, but also to clean your air, you know, and kind of reduce what we already have. Um, very interesting. Thank you. Uh, something I also want to add is when we're, I think when we're talking about global warming, and I do believe in man-made global warming, I don't think there needs to be too much of a sacrifice on people's pockets. I feel like the solution is rather encouraging uh, free market-oriented solutions in order to encourage different businesses to create green energy. Uh, something that you were mentioning a little bit that we may have some disagreement on, but that's perfectly okay, is fracking in the sense that it is significantly cleaner than coal. And I think that if we want to reduce emissions, and we act, by the way, the United States is currently the number one reducer, reducer in the entire world of um, carbon emissions. Um, but back to the point is fr since fracking is cleaner, it helps us transition away from coal into a cleaner source. And it's not perfect, but I think through, for example, cars becoming more fuel efficient, go, switching from coal to gas in this case with fracking, and then with gas, we maybe we, we could be able to switch, switch more onto nuclear energy. And then if solar starts developing even more, I think the transitionary route is the best way to go. And instead of having to make huge sacrifices in the economy, we can encourage gradual change, as you mentioned before, with people changing out their light bulbs as well. And that's more of a practical at-home solution. Sure. Um, I, I think to your point with the fracking, it, it's, it, it could definitely be, be a benefit if, you, if you're trying to go away from coal. Uh, my, my, my personal view of it is it's like a person who's trying to stop smoking cigarettes. And their, their choice, instead of stopping smoking cigarettes, they're gonna vape instead. Mm -hmm. So, it, it, are we really are we really solving the problem? Are we just finding the le the least the most convenient way to say we're not doing the bad thing anymore? Um, if you want to get rid of carbon emissions and go away from fossil fuels, you need to go away from fossil fuels, not find the next easiest fossil fuel to not to use. So, what uh, fracking absolutely better than coal, but is it getting us to where we want to go? It could be a nice intermediate. Absolutely nice intermediate, but we want to eventually, I think the goal is to get to renewable sources of energy and, and oil is not renewable. It, it's you use it, you throw it away, it's gone. So to get away from that, I think is the end goal. So we really shouldn't, I don't, I personally don't think we should be pushing for more non-renewable sources to just get away from other non-renewable sources that might be a little bit worse. If we want to solve the problem, we want to go to something that actually solves the problem. And for sure, and as I mentioned earlier, I think with nuclear energy is a very, very good long-term solution to help out this problem. But again, the United States is currently the number one country um, in reducing emissions. How are we going to do that? I think we have to find these gradual solutions because the thing is, at least in my opinion, gasoline isn't going anywhere anytime soon. 
So let's try to figure out we to transition this. And I think through, for example, this is a little bit more on the solution side, we have tax incentives for different green companies to be able to produce produce clean energy and to help transition. I think with nuclear energy too, um, seeing some privatization with, and this is a little bit unconservative to me to say, government oversight would be very beneficial. And the reason I say government oversight only is because with nuclear energy, there is a massive externality and is if something goes wrong, the entire town is screwed as opposed to license occupational licensing which I won't get too much into but essentially like I don't think a I don't think a barber should have to go to the government just because they might give a bad haircut like I think that's significantly different competition could do a lot better with that but in the case of nuclear energy um, that's my opinion so sure um, yeah and, and and I agree I think nuclear energy is a, a good alternative um, you run into to other issues with alternative energy, uh, especially waste disposal of alternative energy. Um, so you're still you got a lot of, of issues with your right now. We have a lot of land space issues with um, with already our, our amount of garbage that we produce. So you're going to run nuclear energy and, and have these other waste facilities that you now need to build. You need to build these multi-million dollar waste facilities that bury these these radioactive cores a mile beneath the earth to make sure they don't affect anybody in the area. So uh, it's a good option. It brings again together more, more issues um, on, on the backside of it. So if we can find ways to utilize clean sources of energy that do not give off uh, negative ramifications, sun, uh, solar, wind, things like that, uh, that you don't have to worry about those things with. I think that's what we should be looking at long term uh, again like you said change is a gradual process the larger you are the more gradual it needs to happen um, you can't change a large country overnight um, in in terms of climate change in terms of changing our society i think it's going to have to be more of a revolution of a revolution of the people than it is of of government because government unfortunately they're slow they are slow at everything they're slow to react the people who are quick to react, military. But the government is very slow to react. So not that the government isn't great. It does a lot of great things, but it's very slow to react. Um, and if, if we want to make changes, uh, you know, you can see, you can see around, uh, or just around your high school, how, how influential uh, people doing things are, right? The one kid who brought in the fidget spinner one day and then one week later, every kid had a fidget spinner. Right, the 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 uh, Fortnite. One person played Fortnite and talked about it, and the next day, everybody in the world was playing Fortnite. It, it's it's a fad thing. You need you need one person, a couple people to get into it, to get really passionate about it, and to spread and to and to and to make it go around and and, and talk to different people and connect to those people emotionally and give them a reason to want to do it. Uh, if people are motivated, the change will happen quicker than if governments are telling them this is what you need to do. And just to remind our audience, as a libertarian, I'm not a big fan of the government. <laughs> so, I government. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know what government you're talking about. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. All right, we're on the same page. I thought I should just throw that out in case I was ruffling any feathers. But. Uh, all right, all right. We like to ruffle feathers. I yeah, love it. Space well, Mr. Linhart, thank you very much for sharing your opinions as well as some very interesting facts and wonderful analogies about climate change. We really appreciate your input. It was very clarifying 
and I hope that for everyone listening, this might help you become a little bit more informed about climate change. I'm Sophie Dasko. I'm Will Blysaf. This is State Sponsored Programming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of State Sponsored Programming. We're on most podcasting platforms, so wherever you are, make sure to like, follow, and give us five stars if you enjoyed listening. You can also follow us on Twitter at SS underscore programming for all updates and giveaways. This is State Sponsored Programming, signing off.